0: So welcome back everybody I am Lynn Gilliland this is Lessons from Leaders and I am so excited to have Kate Moynihan on today with us today because Kate I've known Kate I've known you for many years Kate and I worked in the same organization quite a while ago and I always we never worked together. I admired you, Kate, from a distance. You were one of the um, women that I looked up to, and I actually aspired some of the things that you were ways of being. I aspired to have those. So um, I actually took the initiative and hunted Kate down and got her to be on my
1: podcast. So
0: welcome, Kate. And
1: it's, it's mutual. I have very, you know, we've talked about this in the past, but one of my one of my biggest um, memories from that period in my career, and it was very young, but I was doing work internationally for for the organization in a in a war torn, man made, war torn environment. And you were the only person who stepped up and said something to me after a meeting. and it was the first time any any colleague of mine had ever sort of given me that kind of feedback. and it was it happened to be a positive feedback. But the thought that you would go out of your way to sort of acknowledge something that I had done that you felt was valuable um, that just that really meant a lot to me. and so it's mutual. and I'm really happy to be here today.
0: Well, thank you. And I don't, I you know you told me that and I didn't remember it. And here I am doing it again. Everybody knows Kate. And I admire Kate. Let's hear what Kate has to share with us. So, one of the things we've talked about, Kate, of just a place of beginning is we have gone through much, so much change and transition since the pandemic. And um, how do you see leadership? having changed either your own style or what you think is needed from two three years ago to today
1: yeah Yeah, you know it's interesting because i think we've all had a lot of time to sort of take stock um uh, the good thing about COVID is i think it's really kind of exposed the seams you know places where things weren't working it became raw it became really clear um and i think when uh when i think about the work that um, uh, that i particularly do in my role as a, an executive with a nonprofit um you know if anything what's happened is i think a doubling down on instincts that i knew were good but during pre covid times you sometimes find yourself going with the herd you know you're you're following something because you think that's the way it should be rather than really leaning into your own instincts. And it could be instincts around equity, it could be instincts around work-life balance. You know, let's be honest, you know, two years ago, those were very different conversations. There might've been small pockets of the world or the uh, country that talked about it in a way that was really meaningful for for not only the professional staff, but for the work, right? So, I mean, I think the biggest thing might be just uh, a reaffirmation around, you know, leaning into the purpose. Like, this is why we do what we do. And understanding that, you know, I don't necessarily lead from the middle, right? Where CEO Mm -hmm. is in the middle, I really think that it's about having that ecosystem or the ensemble around, and what's in the middle is your mission or your purpose. And I think prior to COVID, that that oftentimes could really be misunderstood or seen as weak or too democratic. But I think there's been a a realigning there, and. uh, and it served in, in my particular situation, it's, it served us really well because that really drove a lot of the crisis decisions that we had to make. And even the decisions about how to bring, you know, staff back into the work fold. So I don't know if that so I think it's really more a reaffirmation of what I probably did, but sometimes kept kept quieter to the side. And um and it, I think it really allowed me to to speak to speak more um openly around the commitment to the mission being the first obligation.
0: And that's interesting also because, so so one was going with your instincts, like leaning into those maybe beliefs even that you had or we had and realizing, yeah, we can really pull these out. And then, Um, we've been talking a lot about purpose, like reconnecting with purpose and how that will help re-energize people. People are tired right now, and what we've seen is when they're reconnected to purpose and vision, that that is like putting water in the well or money in the bank. And I've been wondering, is is it also reconnecting to our cause? Like, Does that feel different to you than purpose? I'm just checking, wondering what you think.
1: Yeah, I like it. It totally could be. For me, I think I tend to be a, it's all in the pot together. So the purpose and the reason for being in the cause. But I can feel why those would be different, right? Because I think um, cause implies something a little bit bigger, maybe even than your own organization. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I can see where, I think that that I can see where those would be different, but similar in the sense that reminding yourself of why you're doing it, your role in it, and then not being afraid to sort of take a look at some of those tough questions or some of those tough wonderments around, you know, right fit and, um, and right approaches. And I don't mean right in the correct way, but more in a sort of, is it, is it, is it something that you're coming to with a sense of intention and a sense of uh, humility, frankly. So, I like that. Yeah. I think that's core
0: for right now. Anything else around leading now that, that you're leaning into stronger that maybe you weren't doing before?
1: Yeah, I think I've done a much better job of setting some personal boundaries. You know, I think that that's something that so many people who love, you know, when you love the work you're doing or you really care deeply about the social justice cause that you're aligned with or whatever it might be. It could be parenting. It could be felting. It could almost be anything. You have to, I think, figuring out a way to say, now's the time to stop this, and now's the time to go and either go do something else, or like we talked about things before the video came on about this whole replenishing of the well. So I feel like that's something that I've gotten a lot better at. And not not sometimes I'm a New Englander, so sometimes I would hear people talk like that and I think I just you just gotta get to business of just doing it. And that's very crunchy granola, or it sounds very um it sounds esoteric. It doesn't sound like something that you can do, but it doesn't have to be a fancy retreat someplace. It could be take a walk around the block, or, mm. you know, just really slow it down, take put it aside for a minute and go into something else. That's another part of who you are, another part of your life. So that's something I think I've done differently. Do you
0: think about like focusing on what you can control, like leaning into there? Does that ever consciously, is it ever a practice for you?
1: Well, that's what just what. What do you mean by that? Because I like it, but I think I want to make sure I'm, I'm hearing what you're
0: asking. So you know, it, um, I think it was Stephen Covey that came up with you know center of control and influence, like or circle of influence, like just focus on what you can control and influence, and then you feel more empowered. And when you focus on the x things you have no control and influence over, like a war in Ukraine, for instance, then you start feeling disempowered and your sense of power fullness shrinks. And I just have this sense of you that you've naturally, intuitively focused on what you can control. But you know, I got you
1: up, up, up on a pedestal, Kate. <laughs> oh, that Thank you. That's funny, because my, my teenager would knock that down in a second. <laughs> Um, Yeah, I think that that's very true. I think that there is something about there is a practical nature to how I like to work. And that is, there's a little bit of that that does go on. And it's a little bit compartmentalized, to some extent, where you, um, you have to be mindful of the bigger stuff. But it's somehow you need to be able to um, almost be aware of it and then let not let it go in the sense that you don't care about it but let it go in the sense of well, what gets your energy what gets what can get your time and your talent yeah so i would say for sure if that would be something that that is happening and, and yeah you're right i don't think that i sit in the morning and say what are the six things i can control today i think that there's just something about how i manage the work where i i just have a have a pretty good sense of this is something that, that that i can do that i can contribute to the cause or to the mission and this is something that i can do for the team and so it'll get my attention
0: yeah yeah it's my sense of view is very sent very centered you know so i don't know how to explain that in a better way but like you don't get you're not pulled around like a feather um I wanted to ask you also. We were also talking about uh, um, change resilient organizations. We were talking about that earlier, and yeah. we were saying how that's something now. And you know, for me, it's now and forever. I don't see it going away. What what do you think about change resilient organizations or or individual teams? And then how what makes for such a what makes for a change resilient organization
1: or individual? That's really, that's really, I feel like that's the million dollar question right now for all of us, right, as we look at our work and look at systems and... um, part of something with the MacArthur Foundation, they have a bold solutions and they have the whole whole big thing on resilience just a couple of weeks ago. And I really love this diagram because resilience, they, they broke it into, you know, the individual, like, how are we personally resilient and what can we do to sort of, and then the next is uh, organization, then community, and then the planet. And I, th- I think that that's an interesting way to sort of think about resilience and then it leans back to the question or this you know what you talked about earlier in terms of what can we control, right? So the planet might feel really kind of a serial or too big for everybody, right but your own individual actions and your team actions like that's actually something. You can make decisions about. Mm-hmm. And I was a I was appointed to this particular job about four and a half years ago, and so I knew coming into it that there was just going to be this myriad of issues, you know, uh, change or stressful moments. And by no by no you know no intention on my part to scare people, but just because I was going to be a new element in an otherwise functioning you know team, and we spent a lot of time talking about. You know, what what contributes, what moves you in the direction of resiliency versus what pulls you away from resiliency as an individual and as an organization. And so I, I do think that one of the things that has to happen is um, being very I think it comes back to your purpose and it comes back to the cause, that you're the reason why you come and you get a paycheck. That sounds really barbaric, but why? Like why why? And then the how, the how is the resilience piece and in our case you know just as a little example rather than saying okay everyone has to come back into the office we were able to do little things like really listen to staff to say you know if they really feel productive where they are and so let's come up with a hybrid or so that, that sounds maybe um, overly tactical or maybe really shallow but but it's an important statement around we trust you like it's a trust-based relationship with we trust that you're going to get the work done. We don't need you to come into an office. But then let's also have the scaffolding around it to make sure everybody can continue to be productive and feel included and feel that they have access to what they need in order to get you know their positions done. But it really requires... You know, I'm lucky that we have a good board. So I think it really requires a hand-in-glove relationship. So if you're out there with some really good ideas and your board is stuck in, like, the 1940s and they want everybody punching the time clock, and that's not going to work. And those are these are overly specific tacticals, but I think that there is something about the conversation that has to happen at various levels of the leadership to talk candidly about what does it require, what can we do, and then how are we going to be in community? And that's, again, it sounds very 1970s hippie-ish, but there's something really important about that because then you get the ground rules around, this is what we need. This is what I can tolerate. This is what I need. And, um, and we've, we, we as a team have spent a lot of time on that. And I think we're shouldering some of the changes during COVID better because we had those healing conversations as a group. We did some individual work. We did team-based work. And it was all aligned with where the board wanted me to be, you know, focusing the energy of the organization.
0: I thought, I'm so glad we're talking about that because I found that to be just so interesting, the levels, the way that you're thinking about it, and that it, you know, requires um, the, what I wrote was you, you came up with the how we're going to work, which, which is became a behavior which influences the culture. So you create trust with the actions that you took and yeah. um you know so it's like that whole there's like a loop or something um, about how actions will help build the what actions and decisions you take help build the culture so uh, build the change resilient organization um, yeah that and and the, that you're looking at from the governance level from the board level all through so yeah. That was a good example. I'm going to make sure we ask this on all the podcasts, because that was really interesting for me. Um, so what have been some challenges for you, like things you weren't didn't expect? Or maybe you didn't expect anything, because we've never been through a pandemic before. But anything that caught you by surprise?
1: Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, Well, you know, part of my backstory, I think what caught me maybe by surprise was in some ways how working in man-made disasters for several decades really readied me Mm. for something like this. And not to say that, oh, it was a perfect primer to go into a pandemic, but I remember coming back. I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna name drop, but I hope you'll allow me. So I remember coming back from a trip. I was in the field at the beginning of 2020 because I wanted to celebrate because you know I work for an I organization, and I got 2020 vision, all the marketing potential, right? So I'm in the field, I'm doing my thing, and I'm coming back. And SARS or not SARS, sorry, COVID is is unbeknownst to me at the time, also coming back. And sometime around February, I have a phone conversation with Larry Brilliant, who founded SEVA, and he's an epidemiologist and a pandemic specialist. And my opening line was, I don't want to underreact to this, but I also, you know, I don't want to overreact, but I didn't want to underreact. And I remember, but I wouldn't have necessarily even had the wherewithal to have that kind of a framing conversation. I think if I hadn't been sort of hardened off in the younger part of my career in so many situations where I was usually alone, i was sent into some of these places by myself, um i didn't speak the language so i had to quickly attune to other cues and other pieces of information to sort of make good choices not only for my own self but you know for the work so i think that that surprised me that that how how and sadly it's at the expense of um communities being in conflict but how well that that experience sort of readied me to sort of then do the distance managing and some of the crisis decision making that had to happen
0: and also reading this reading the tea leaves so to speak or reading the w- way the winds blowing you just in in the, those crisis situations i know you those people that have worked there like yourself you become very attuned to the little t- tiny little shakes of the earth and
1: what that might mean and yeah. yeah that's right yeah that's spot on and and i think i've heard phraseology like triangulation or whatever all you knew is that you were picking it up from multiple places and it all was leading you in a particular direction Mm -hmm. yeah so that was surprising um i've been pleasantly surprised you know i i feel like i've got the best gig ever i have a talented team that really knows what they're doing and i feel grateful that i work for the type of uh intervention that we kind of know our place in the ecosystem. So there wasn't any of this, oh, we have to now gin up and do something different. It was we were ready to be of service, but there wasn't any sharp elbows trying to re-contort ourselves into something that we weren't. And I was and I was particularly kind of grateful for that and helping the organization hold center that this will pass and what we've done in the world and what we continue to do is still relevant and important, but it's maybe not the top priority for. foreseeable future but it will become a priority at some point right so knowing enough to know that not everything needs again your attention immediately it doesn't need it didn't need us right away and we could we could take the time to be of service in a different way um yeah i don't know if that's a good answer or not no
0: i mean that was it i i appreciated it and so I'm struggling between two places to go. So one place is like when you is, I'm going to go with it. When you think about leadership, either qualities that you aspire to or that you have, or that you usually people have are aspiring or that you see in others. What, what, you know, if you had to define
1: great leadership, what would you say? What I get attracted to is thoughtful leadership. Mm. Someone that I feel someone that has actually really not overly thought about it, not navel gazing, but there's a thoughtfulness to how they approach it, how they think about the work. So that's a piece for me. Thank you. And what advice
0: would you give your younger self? So you look from where you are now, four years leading the seva, and you look back at little Katie Moynihan back in the day, and you say, Katie, this is the advice I want to give you now.
1: Such a great question. Um, I think it would probably be two things. Double down on the languages. <laughs> <if I'm speaking. laughs> um, but I also think, uh, you know, a sense of uh, and I think this is not un- unusual for maybe women in my age, but I think it's about trusting myself a little bit more. That I, I think I, I would go through these different interviews, and I talk about the different successes, and I always, the way I would talk about it was how great everybody else was, and how great the environment was, and how great the team was. And it took one of the interviewers to say, "But you know, you're the only common denominator in those mm-hmm. things." And it was the first, and I was well into my forties where I realized, oh, well, maybe there's something about what I'm doing that's a, really of value. Like, I, I knew I had worked hard, and I knew I cared that I did my work well, but I don't know that I always understood that maybe I was really contributing something to it. And uh, so I think there would be the languages and maybe trusting in my own ability a little bit better.
0: Well, I'm sorry that I didn't tell you back in the day that how much I admired you. So that maybe would have been also helped you shine a mirror on yourself a little bit, had a little mirror. And you you also told me an earlier conversation that something about finding your own voice that you were often in meetings, interacting with men who were loud and competent. And, um, and that, can you talk about that?
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, I I forgot I shared that with you. Yeah, that that's, um, I found, I realized uh, Earl, that, that part of, like, the trusting myself came from being in these, a lot of sessions where some of the colleagues, and it does, and I'm sorry, because I, you know, I, I love men, but in this particular story, the, what I'm remembering is a series of the words, it was men that were very loud in the meetings, very confident about what they were saying, and it sort of, it contributed to me not being sure about you know how much i really knew or how much i was contributing um and and i and i think that it just took me a while to realize that 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 the content of what i was thinking the substance of what i was thinking really had a, a lot of merit and it was as good and sometimes better than where the louder person in the room was taking everybody but it took me a while to sort of figure out how to find my voice and I think as I found my voice, it's it, you know, the, the flip side is that then, you know, you can come off as divisive because you're in there and you're trying to have a point of view and you're not using a lot of ums and you're speaking with confidence and that that engenders a whole different kind of, um, it can engender a whole different kind of feedback. So
0: the reason I, thank you, the reason I wanted you to t- talk about that is I don't think, I think that's very common that other people, men or women, are being so loud and seem so competent, and confident, and we have a different, at least I resonate with myself. I have a different opinion, and so I question, you know, whether I must not be right because I'm, if anybody else is thinking this, they're not saying it. So that's one of the reasons I wanted you to, 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 to share that again with others too. So I think it's not, you're not alone. Yeah. Especially just as a side thing, if you know those um emergency situations that you worked in um often attract some of the most bold confident or at least seemingly confident out there individuals, so you got to really make your space sometimes right at least that was my experience yeah. my
1: experience
0: <laughs> um so Kate, we're Anything that you that we haven't touched on that you hoped that we would anything that's
1: come up you'd like to add? You know I just want to know but I think this was I wanted to thank you for this space it really you know it's very mutual I have a lot of high regard for you I remember you so fondly and you were you are and have been a superstar so it was I was really you know I don't say yes to a lot of these types of invitations and I responded to you very quickly um, because of that. And also I want to just thank you for taking really for having this really lovely, thoughtful, structured space to, to just think about this and talk about it and figure out, well, that's a good question. I'm not so sure what I do think about this. And it was really nice to be able to connect with you and to be able to have a chat. So thank you. No, you're so welcome. I'm,
0: Thank you for saying yes, it's made my day. So thanks everyone, and thanks to Kate. and we will um, we'll get her back for sure. So thank you, Kate.